0: You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over king.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys
0: and girls. The
2: House
1: of
0: Cards.
2: Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player,
1: Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill
3: Hello, everybody. This is Ashley Adams. You are listening to House of Cards. I'm your host for the hour, and what an hour it's going to be. We have two fascinating guys uh, coming on. The first guest is David Schwartz. Dave Schwartz has written a book, a compilation of his articles about Atlantic City. It's called Boardwalk Playground. He's also the director of the Center of Gaming Research from the University of Las Vegas. Uh, He's been on the show before, and he is an expert on Atlantic City. we will be talking to us about it. And then we're going to talk to Gary Hammond. He is an inventor, and he's going to talk about a new gambling game that he has invented called Player Power Poker, which you'll be able to find uh, real soon in casinos in the United States. So we're going to talk to him, and we'll have a mailbag segment. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: You want some more excitement in your life? Sign up at TropicanaCasino.com with promo code RADIO and you'll get up to $100 real cash back. Plus, for a limited time, $10 in free bonus money to play with. Enjoy slot and casino games like Wheel of Fortune, Cleopatra, Monopoly, Blackjack, and much more. Play on desktop or mobile device with our iOS and Android apps. Must be 21 and over and located in New Jersey. New patrons only. $10 minimum deposit and a wager required to qualify for $100 real cash back. Bonus money must be played through one time before withdrawal. Rules and dates apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE.
0: You can make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit, free. Our romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. Oh, no. We'll also throw in free shipping on your entire order. So, check out adamandeve.com today for this special Valentine's offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, and free shipping when you enter offer code BABE16. B A B E 16. That's BABE16 at adamandeve.com.
4: The key to winning poker is knowledge. And winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments. Whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, Winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know, it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get Winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. You are more in need of a night in Atlantic City than any man I've ever met. I'd
2: say sit down at a table, go for dinner, see a show, take a walk on the boardwalk and smell the salt air.
4: But if you're anything like me, nothing after sit down at a table is going to happen.
3: back listeners this is ashley adams your host of house of cards and uh, let's get right to it we have a great author and scholar uh he is dave schwartz he's the director of the center of gaming research unlv and let me say what a job what a great job that would be to have uh he's also an author uh just wrote a book called boardwalk playground the making unmaking and remaking of atlantic city dave are you there
2: I sure am, Ashley. Thanks for having me back.
3: Yeah. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background so that they know that you know of what you speak.
2: <laughs> sure. I grew up in Atlantic City, New Jersey. was born there, grew up there, worked in a few casinos there, went to college and then went to grad school and got a degree in history and have moved into the history of casinos and that kind of Fun stuff.
3: Cool. Uh, before we even get right to it, I do have a question for you about Las Vegas. Um, sure. Why doesn't Las Vegas have a really good uh, museum of gambling? Or do they? And I just haven't seen it.
2: Well, there's a couple of things going on. You have some things in the mob museum that's more focused on organized yeah, yeah, crime. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Stuff. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. Yeah, uh, you also have the Museum of Gambling of Gaming History is a private group that's trying to get together funding to build a museum. They have some exhibits. There is one in the El Cortez and there is one that is gonna go into the Plaza Casino downtown. So I think there's hope for something like this to show up downtown through the Museum of Gaming History.
3: Is Steve Forte involved
2: in that project? Do you Not know to who my that, knowledge. Do
3: you know who that is?
2: I I I do know who that is. I, I don't believe he is.
3: Well, I got to say, and again, I, I'm sorry to take this off your time because you have a lot of other interesting stuff to talk about. But Steve had at one time the foremost collection of gaming devices and memorabilia going all the way back to some literally some knuckle bones of animals oh. from ancient Egypt, including every kind of device to hold out stuff, that uh, cups that could – roll 12s every time Um, and I remember he about 10 years ago was looking for a place to display his collection and wanted uh, some help but in any event I I just figured you would be the best curator of such a place and uh, I'm eager to talk about your book so let's let's talk about it uh, not to bring in pop culture too much but tell us why um, Boardwalk Empire doesn't quite get it right
2: I think Boardwalk Empire looks at one aspect of the city's history, which is the salacious aspect, which is the corruption and all that stuff, which is which is a good thing to look at, and it's great. What I wanted to do in writing Boardwalk Playground was to bring people's awareness of the bigger picture in a focus, saying, you know, this is, is a place that for about 150 years has been a leisure destination. People have gone there to have fun in lots of ways. Yeah, some of that was drinking bootleg whiskey and going to prostitutes and stuff like that. But for a long time, it was going to Easter parades and doing other stuff like that. So I just wanted to show people a little bit more of the character of Atlantic City through through history.
3: So tell us when, chronologically, it was a wide-open town. What years are we talking about when prostitution, bootleg liquor, and illegal gambling were allowed even while they were illegal?
2: It goes back pretty far. It goes back to probably the 1880s when Atlantic City first really hit the big time And people were coming. The city was also a big convention center. So people were coming there for business, men without their wives. And I think that's where the prostitution comes in. But that had been pretty big. In the 20s, of course, that's when Nucky Johnson was running the city. And you really saw that explode. You saw a lot more of both the prostitution and the horse rooms where people would bet on horse races, the telegraph betting, that kind of stuff. So you really saw a lot, lot more of that in the 20s. When the depression hit in the 30s, it went underground a little bit. And it finally died out in the 50s after the key fall for committee.
3: I see. So there was really nothing going on in the 60s.
2: Well, there was, but it wasn't really so – it wasn't such a high level. And I think it's probably no coincidence that that is when – 60s and 70s is when the city's tourism was at its lowest, and there's probably the least amount of gambling and that kind of stuff going on.
3: How is it that um – Atlantic City got started as a convention center and had its seedy past initiated. What was it that set it off? Anything in specific?
2: Yeah, there was a a guy who today we would say was crazy. He was a doctor, and he had the idea of building a health resort on this windy, mosquito-infested island off the coast of South Jersey. And pleaded with people, this is what we need to do. This will be the next big city in the East Coast if we build a health resort here. Got some railroad people interested, and they built a railroad from Philadelphia, the Camden and Atlantic, down to what is now Atlantic City, laid out Atlantic City, flattened the hills, filled in the swamps so most of the mosquitoes went away, but they were still a pretty big problem in the early years. And just through constant promotion, they called it promotion, emotion, and ocean, emotion, and constant promotion. That was the, the keys to the cities in the, in the early years it was just constantly just going out there and saying, hey, come here, come here, come here. And there's some really cool stuff I found in research in the book where the people would just line up to greet the trains as they came in. You know, The citizens of Atlantic City would just come out and line up. And this was the greatest thing ever, people coming down just to spend a weekend. So that's really where it got to got it start.
3: So kind of like a health cure uh, was there always a like an indigenous population of people since colonial days or was it truly inhabited for the first time in the 1880s
2: there's a very small population so originally you had the Lenni Lenape indians who would come down there seasonally migrate there during the summer migrate back to the mainland in the winter you had a couple people there um Leeds was the first big settler. He bought up a lot of the land. The Leeds family owned most of the land. It wasn't until the middle of the century, in the 1850s, that the railroad people came in and bought up most of the Leeds' land, and that's when the real settlement started. But there had been people there before.
3: I see. Listeners, please stay tuned. We will be back after a break. Here's how. Use offer code HOCRADIO, that's HOCRADIO, when you check out at ProCaliber.com or when ordering by phone at 24025POKER, 24025POKER, that's 2402576537. ProCaliber Poker Tables, stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for.
0: Some houses are born bad. You're listening to the House of Cards.
5: I never dreamed that any mere physical experience could be so
0: stimulating.
3: Welcome back, everyone. This is Ashley Adams, your host of House of Cards. For listeners who just turned, tuned in, we're talking to Dave Schwartz, who's the director of the Center of Gaming Research at UNLV. So here's something I've often wondered. It's a personal question, in a way. My grandfather, who uh, was a haberdasher in New York, um, raised my mother in. Her brother, my uncle, in uh, on long island in the from the thirties until the fifties he would vacation usually to the mountains of the Catskills but sometimes to Atlantic City. He and his buddies when they were single in the twenties mm-hmm. and then occasionally they would go down there with the, with other families in the thirties f- and forties was the town so wide open that even My grandfather, who was a very wholesome guy, at least who knows if there were skeletons in his closet, that he and his wife, my grandmother, would know that they were going into a place that was a den of iniquity, at least at some level? Or was it quite likely that a lot of the tourists there never accessed or even knew anything about the prostitution, the uh, bootleg liquor, and the gambling?
2: Yeah, the prostitution was down on a place called Snake Alley, so it was a little it was a little bit out of the way. It wasn't like they were out on the boardwalk or something. You had the wholesome stuff on the boardwalk, that's where the Easter parade was, which is a huge thing. And you had that going on. At the same time, if you wanted to lead a certain lifestyle, you could find that lifestyle in Atlantic City. So I think they cater to both the family-friendly groups and the wholesome people as well as the not-so-wholesome people, which is in common with a lot of other resorts at the time and and probably throughout history and even today.
3: So in in a way, then, it was not like Las Vegas where everybody, including in the 80s when people would bring their families there and they were trying to be family-friendly, everybody knew that went there that they could access – whatever they wanted in Las Vegas, as you can today. I'm wondering if it was also just generally known that Atlantic City was a place you could get everything you wanted, even if you didn't want it, or was that kind of – you'd have to be kind of an insider and kind of looking for it to even know that all this stuff was available if you wanted it. Do you understand my question?
2: I do. I think it was generally known, but it wasn't necessarily out there in your face. But if you did want to find that, it wouldn't be too hard to find
3: Okay. Very interesting. Um, and I'm also wondering this. What was allowed and what wasn't? I mean, was, was there you know, pornographic material available for purchase? Uh, were, were opioids available? Were there opium dens? Was there illegal narcotics? Or was it just alcohol, sex, and uh, gambling?
2: Well, you know, anytime you have a bunch of people getting together, you're going to find all that stuff. And there were, I did find a couple of references to a few opium dens. It wasn't a major thing, though. So there was a little bit of that, too.
3: Any Asian community there that you could find?
2: Um, yes. Yes, there is.
3: What was the history of that? I'm just curious how it relates to New York City and the Asian community in New York.
2: I don't, I don't really know enough about that history to go into detail.
3: Okay, but it did exist. Yeah, um, I remember reading your articles in the past, and I know there was a rise, there was a fall, there was another rise, there was another fall, and another rise. It went up and down. How would you characterize you know, the periods of boom and bust um, over time? It, I imagine in the 1880s, it was a boom time. How did it go down, and how did it come up over the decades that followed?
2: Yeah, the first real crisis was was in World War One, when visitation slumped a little bit, wasn't as popular as it had been because of the war going on. But they recovered pretty quickly, and the 20s were a really great decade for Atlantic City. All that stuff was going on, so you had booming convention travel there, a lot of people coming, bringing their families, a lot of people coming down for the summer. But you also had, of course, all that Boardwalk Empire stuff going on. So the 20s were pretty good years, 30s less so. And that was where you really started to see the trouble start. That was the last major hotels built. It was the Claridge, which opened in 1929, Uh, right before the crash. And after that, you didn't really see a lot of building. And the, the 30s is when the trouble started, although things still looked pretty good until the 50s. But by then, the lack of investment started to catch up with them. And it was in the 60s and 70s that things really went downhill. And one of the big events that I talk about in the book was the 1964 Democratic National Convention, which was held in Atlantic City, which was a calamity for the city because the convention itself didn't have that much drama. They already knew that Johnson would be the nominee. But a lot of the reporters looked around Atlantic City, and they had terrible hotel rooms. The facilities were really bad, and it really came across poorly to the national media. And that was really the wake-up call for the city where they said, hey, we need to – enough is enough, and it's time for a change.
3: What was the history of segregation there, do you know? I mean, because in a way, yeah, New Jersey – that part of New Jersey is kind of southern in some ways. Did they have segregation?
2: Yeah, there was de facto segregation. It was never legally. You know, The African-American community was primarily on the north side. Uh, certain beaches were segregated. Kentucky Avenue, that was the African-American beach, and there were... When you had the Easter parade, you had a rival African-American Easter Easter parade that went on. So there was a sizable black community in Atlantic City from the start, and there was segregation.
3: What role did organized crime, I mean, the mob, the mafia, the Nostra, play in Atlantic City over the years? Did Did they control it, or did they pretty much stay out of it?
2: Well, I think like a lot of other places, there was a lot of investment in things, and they ran certain things, you know, were they involved with the sewage department and electricity and water? No. But were they very big in the hospitality business for a while? Yes. in things like liquor and uh, gambling? Certainly. Yeah. So I think they had a a large role to some extent in developing those aspects of the city that people found appealing.
3: So you're talking about an outside Organized crime presence that controlled, as opposed to the fact. I mean, I know that they had mobster, uh, a mobster that controlled the city, but he was subordinate, at least in some regards, to a larger organized crime
2: family. No. I don't think it's as cut and dry as that. Okay. I think you had a lot of different groups trying different things. Okay, I, I don't I, think they were that good. They were they were such good managers. <laughs>
3: My my final question is, is there a favorite part of your book that you really want to make sure that people don't miss when they get it?
2: Yeah, I really like the part of the book about the personalities. That's about 10 people who I feature who were really interesting people in the city's history. Not necessarily the most famous, but you can learn about what Naki Johnson was really like. You can learn about people like Chris Colombo, who is a legendary jazz drummer, um, all kinds of folks. So I, I, I kind of like that part a lot. And the community part two, which talks more about the community organizations and how things like the Atlantic City Medical Center got started and the beach patrol and that sort of thing. So I, I really like those aspects of the book that focus on the more community focused things.
3: Terrific. So how do our listeners get a hold of your book?
2: Well, they can go on Amazon and get it there. It's available on Kindle for less than $5, and it's available in book form, too.
3: Such a uh, deal. For
2: way less less than, less than $20, so pretty inexpensive. And if you go to the website, boardwalkplayground.com, you can get order information. If you want to order it at your local bookstore, they can order it from Baker & Taylor Distribution.
3: Terrific. Dave, a great interview, as always. I love talking to you. Could talk to you for another hour, and I appreciate you joining us.
2: Thank you very much, Ashley.
3: You bet. Listeners, that was Dave Schwartz, Director of the Center of Gaming Research at the University of Las Vegas, his new book, Boardwalk Playground. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to let you know about a newspaper in the New England area. If you're looking for poker tournaments or the latest promotions at Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, Twin River, or if you want to find out what's happening in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, or other casinos around the country, then I recommend you check out New England Gaming News for all the latest news, events, and hot casino action from around the region. You can do that in one of two ways. You can either pick up their free copies at gambling venues throughout New England, or you can visit them at www.thenegn.com and sign up for exclusive specials and promotions. That's www.thenegn.com. The New England Gaming News, New
1: England's only resource for complete casino So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG.
4: Hey, this is Dave Weishato from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of January 25th, 2016. Well, for the first time in tennis history, the Australian Open will have advertising boards carrying the logo of William Hill, which is a U.K.-based bookmaker. This is on the heels of match-fixing allegations in the world of professional tennis. Last year, the International Tennis Federation signed a $70 million pact with the Swiss-based Company Sports Radar, which some have alleged is a tool for gamblers to set lines and make wagers. Officials in Pennsylvania have charged Robert Pellegrini, a former executive at the Mohegan Sun Poconos, a cocktail waitress, and a patron of the casino with 170 counts of theft, identity theft, and criminal conspiracy. The waitress would get the casino cards and pin numbers from gamblers when they ordered drinks, passed them to Pellegrini, who then gave them to the patron to use at the slots. They're accused of splitting over $418,000. And finally, Texas Ranger pitcher Hugh Darvish is reportedly being investigated by Major League Baseball after his younger brother was arrested for operating an illegal gambling ring. In a statement, Darvish denies any wrongdoing in the matter. I bet Pete Rose wishes he had a younger brother to blame stuff on. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio.
3: Want some more excitement in your life? Sign up at VirginCasino.com with promo code VIRGIN and you'll get up to $100 real cash back, plus for a limited time, $10 in free bonus money to play with. Enjoy slot and casino games like Wheel of Fortune, Cleopatra, Monopoly, Blackjack, and much more. Play on desktop or mobile device with our iOS and Android apps. Must be 1-1 or over and located in New Jersey. New pictures only. $10 minimum deposit and a waiter required to qualify for $100 real cash back. Bonus money must be played through one time before withdrawal. Rules and date supply. Gambling
4: problem? Call one 800 Gimbler. you're listening to the house of cards join us online at house of cards quiet young man can't you see we're having a poker game
3: Welcome back, everybody. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Uh, I find it interesting to show people how it is that certain things get done in casinos and how different games get developed. So we have a very interesting guy, an inventor. His name is Gary Hammond, and he's going to talk to us about the development of and what exactly is a new casino game called Player Power Player Power Poker. And uh, we have him here now. Gary, are you there? Yes, I am. All right, so... Tell us your background, and then tell us the background of this game that you invented.
5: Well, I'm a lawyer for many years, and uh, I also invent games. I have uh, War Blackjack, which was the uh, best table game in in the United States in uh, 2013, also won in the U.K. in 2014, and uh, Supreme 99. I'm running uh, another game called Multiplier Blackjack out now. But the principal game I've been working on for many years is Player Power Poker. And uh, if we put our thinking caps on as people who play games and say, well, how could we do this? The object was a game with no dealer qualifier, with no ante, and with no folding. That is, the player plays 100% of every hand. Doesn't just sit and watch. It's 100% action. At the same time, I wanted to pay more than even money when the player beat the dealer in the three-card hand, heads up. And at the same time, have a high hit frequency, over 60% of the time, player gets something back. And uh, that's a difficult task, it took a long time to do. And I finally came up with the mechanism that uh, is evident in the video that I had sent along. To see just exactly how that happens by the way i just want to I, just as what i said
3: i just want our listeners to know that you are recovering from an illness so if you if listeners hear some snorts and some coughs it's because this guy was so eager to come onto house of cards and share this important information that you are actually doing so when you are under the weather and i appreciate you coming with us gary so continue i just wanted our listeners yes, to all understand. True. thank you okay fair enough so tell us what player power poker is
5: well, it was designed and is designed to actually be a new poker in the pit. Uh, it's competing against all the various pokers that are out there today. It'll be opening in several states in May. Uh, it'll open, uh, for example, in Arizona on Friday. It's open in California in one venue. And uh, it's what, what venue
3: is that? Places. What venue in California?
5: It's at the Shokawa Casino in Hopeland, California. It's a nice, soft opening for us. It's not a real big place, but it's a popular place. And uh, not so far outside of San Francisco. And it'll open at Bucky's Casino. Oh, in Parker, in Arizona. Arizona. I've been there. Yeah. Yes, it's a great place. And so we uh, we have hopes for it. This game should do well and, and, and we'll see. The uh, the essence of the game was a mechanism. In order to do the things that I just described, I had to figure out a player centric mechanism to make this happen. I mean how can I pay three to two to a player who wins playing heads-up against the dealer in the three-card hand when he's going to win 60% of the time, 62% of the time, get something back. And it's the player mechanism. And I I mention this because every other game I've ever done and every game we all play, you know, we seek out optimum strategy. And the bottom line in this game is nobody plays optimum strategy. The logo has on the logo, make your hand. And the entire game, the core idea and the, the way we do this rotates around the core idea of the player making his hand. In a word, we give the player three cards. That's his hard hand. He picks them up off the felt, and he can squeeze them, and he can look at them. and He knows what they are. Let's say, for this example, they're an ace, queen, ten. It's a good hand. We also give the player a fourth card. He has four cards to make his best three if he chooses to use the power card. That's a bonus card. The way it works is if the player puts the ace, queen, ten down high on the felt, and he beats the dealer with ace, queen, ten, he's paid three to two. He's paid odds. If he puts them down low, then he's using the power card. He would be playing the pair of tens. I said the power card was a ten, which uh, is a median hand. He's going to win the majority of those hands. So the optimum strategy for a player with this configuration would be to play low and go for one to two. It's uh, win the majority of the hands and and contest the three-card hand with the dealer. Fact is, 85% of the players who play this game do not do that. They try to beat the dealer with the high card. And that's where the house makes its advantage. Players going for three to two instead of one to two for the odds. And uh, it becomes a really fun game uh, because sometimes in point of fact you do. Remember, there's no dealer qualifier. And so you can win in this game with hands that you could never win in other games.
3: Do you know if. Uh... The Wizard of Odds, which is the wonderful online site that both tells people what the perfect strategy is for all casino games and then tells you what the house advantage is because he's done computer
5: simulations. Do you know if they've studied this game yet? Yeah, Michael. I I know Michael very well. No, he has not. And, uh, you know, once it's open in a few more places, I'm sure he will. But it hasn't been studied as yet. Uh, I think he'll pick it up because it's entered in, in Coventry, England on May 7th in a game showcase out there which I hope to win. I won it last year. And if it does win that showcase, he, he always picks up the game winner out of that showcase. And, and then I would think maybe earlier on, definitely he'll do the, the numbers for it. Yes. So
3: Okay, so I have a, a marketing yeah. question which intrigues me. So you're an inventor. You come up with this game. It sounds like what you did was you really came up with a game to meet criteria that you figured out and you learned from experience are necessary for a game to be successful. You want to have a high degree, a high percentage of player payout so that players stay engaged and interested in it. They don't feel like, oh, I can't possibly win. But you also need to have a house edge in the game so it's profitable for the casino because if it actually pays out more than it takes in, that's not a winning proposition for a casino. Um, How do you go about, once you've designed the game and you have it and you've tried it out and you say, all right, it works pretty well, how do you go about getting it into casinos? How did you get it into Bucky's? How did you get it into the place in California? What do you do?
5: well once you once you have the basic idea and uh, by the way you do play a four card and a five card poker hand with this with community cards and, um, you have five cards to make your best four and six to make your best five. And, uh, just so you know, that's how the game is played out. It's played pretty quickly. You do a GLI, you do the math. Before you go to the GLI, I mean, I do my math over. Wait, wait, we so don't
3: well, know what a GLI is. What's a GLI?
5: Oh, uh, gaming, game. Wow, well, it's right back there in, in your great state of New Jersey. It's a gaming laboratories international. Um, I run a 12 to 15 zero. Simulation, and I do the hard math as well with mathematicians in or out of the United States. And I give it to the the Gaming Laboratories International back in New Jersey, and their mathematicians will take it apart and uh, figure out exactly what this game is going to do simulation-wise and math-wise and see if there's a discrepancy between the two. This game came in exactly where I wanted it to come in, which was good news. And after that's done, and you have you do your layout, how you look at it, something that's simple and understandable. And like you said, very correctly, uh, the game it, it may be difficult to explain to someone on the radio, but if you sit down and play one hand, you've got it. You either put your car, your cards down on the felt in one spot or the other. I mean, that's the decision the player makes. Where do you drop your cards? That high or low? And so uh, you go out on the road. And I've been on the road a lot. And I went to Bucky's. I met Jeff, and I showed him the game, and we played it. And they thought about it. They showed it to their gaming commission. And, uh, you know, then the, uh, the game can work its way into a casino on the terms and conditions and what the policy and procedures they want uh, after all of that's been done. And that's the process. That's really pretty much the entire process. So you... by the time this show airs, it'll be in the Isle of Capri in Iowa. And uh, I did that not by going. I did it on the phone with the video. And the game, in all honesty, sort of sells itself
3: so it, the Isle really, of Capri,
5: everybody's look, yeah, it, in Boomtown, Capri in Iowa, yeah. That's... I don't know which which one it's going to go into because I've been out of the loop for a while. But uh, that was sold just you know without a personal appearance at the place. But uh, as I said, the game sort of sells itself, and timing is is everything. People are looking for a new poker in the pit, and they're looking for something people can play and have fun with, enjoy for long times, and, and something they can actually win at instead of just, you know, burn money up like some of the games do.
3: So you mentioned that you had uh, the mathematicians look at it and everything. What's the, assuming somebody plays optimally, and what I like about what you've done is you've said right up front that most people don't tend to play optimally. They go for the higher payout, the three to two, rather than the one to two. But if someone were to play it perfectly, what is the the house advantage?
5: Played perfectly, we had 2%. Wow.
3: Played perfectly. Wow, that's and the house is going to make more than that because people are not going to play it perfectly. But the player who really wanted to study up and figure out the best strategy could diminish the house advantage to two percent, which is considerably lower than most of what we what we call commonly carnival games uh, in the casino. I mean, usually like Let It Ride and uh, Caribbean Stud; those games are closer to three to five percent, right?
5: If well, poker. or more. Or more, right. That can run 18 to 20, depending on the, on the on the play. But remember, we have four- and five-card poker as well. And if somebody piles up really heavy on a four- or five-card poker, and it's against a pay table and loses, we make a little money there too. But the core game itself, player versus dealer, would be a 2% game. That's correct. That's, it's a, that's it's terrific. A, you're going to win? The player will, in, in three-card poker, the player will, if he plays the ultimate hand out, he'll win 23% of the time. Player wins 48.5% of the time in this game. And I pay odds when you beat the dealer with three cards. That tells you right there how strong these people pursue today, that three to two. You know, I I couldn't do this if they weren't going after the three to two when they should not. Right. And right. the funny, funny thing is that, yeah, that, that's, that's the psychology of the game that I think I hit on. It's, an, it's very innovative. And the fact is that, Everybody strives in other games than me, too, to play optimum strategy, and people do not play optimum strategy. And even people, and we focus group this in so many places, professionals don't play optimum strategy. There's this enticement. There's a big difference between one to two and three to two. I mean, it's just a, it's a big difference. And you're sitting high card, like I said, ace-king, ace-queen, something like that as a three-card player. You go after the dealer with that. And when there's no qualifier and the dealer's sitting there with a you know eight six two. You win three to two with the hand you'd have otherwise thrown away. So people take the shot. And that's where we make our money. So the game won't fit at 2%. We make more than that. But that's based upon what's on the logo. Make your hand. It is the player's choice to dictate
3: that percentage. A great innovation, Gary. And uh, we're going to have to end with that. But I, I wish you well. And I can't wait till it comes out east. Uh, I mean, I travel all over, but I'll be looking for it.
5: Good. Thank all you right. very much. God bless you guys. And thank oh, you. Wait, just
3: one on last today. thing before Thanks. you go. If somebody wants to look yeah. at this game, is there a place that they can go to now and see your video of, of player power poker?
5: Yeah, there is a, a player power poker dot blogspot com. Okay,
3: great. Well, with that, Gary, I appreciate you joining us. That's Gary Hammond. He's an inventor and he's invented player power poker, which you can check out online. We'll be taking a quick break and then coming right back. So stay tuned.
4: You want some more excitement in your life? Sign up at TropicanaCasino.com with promo code RADIO and you'll get up to $100 real cash back. Plus, for a limited time, $10 in free bonus money to play with. Enjoy slot and casino games like Wheel of Fortune, Cleopatra, Monopoly, Blackjack, and much more. Play on desktop or mobile device with our iOS and Android apps. Must be 21 and over and located in New Jersey. New patrons only. $10 minimum deposit and wager required to qualify for $100 real cash back. Bonus money must be played through one time before withdrawal. Rules and dates apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE.
0: You can make this Valentine's Day one that you'll both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you'll receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, including toys, lingerie, and a seemingly endless selection of adult DVDs. And there's more. With every order, you'll receive our romance kit, free. Our romance kit includes a toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, a free adult DVD to put you in the mood and that's not all oh no we'll also throw in free shipping on your entire order so check out adam and today for this special valentine's offer get 50 percent off one item a free romance kit and free shipping when you enter offer code babe 16 b-a-b-e 16 that's babe 16 at adamandeve.com
4: the key to winning poker is knowledge and winning no limit hold'em the new book by world series of poker veteran ashley adams can give you that knowledge Cash games, small tournaments. Whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, Winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know, it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get Winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Here's the wonderful Joan Rivers with her thoughts on poker players.
3: And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash fulls. You're a poker player. A poker player? That's, That's awesome. beyond white trash. Poker players oh, are poker
0: the most players. awesome people poker in the world. Poker players are trash, darling.
4: Trash. House of Cards, proudly serving your white trash needs since 2007.
3: Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to House of Cards. You know, I just, uh, on the way in here... Dave, I was listening on the Comedy Channel, uh, on my car radio, satellite radio. They had a roast of Joan Rivers. Oh, boy. And uh, God, Gilbert Godfrey was just <laughs> so unbelievably uh, blue. Uh, his uh, humor was so much in the gutter, and so was she. I mean, was, even Carl oh, Reiner that. said, uh, he <laughs> said, I can't believe it. I can say whatever I want. I've been on the air for all these years, and I haven't been able to say anything. And then he <laughs> he just blurted out every obscenity you've ever heard. <laughs> so anyway, but welcome to House of
4: Cards. But we I have... miss Stone Rivers though. She was she was amazing. So what do we have this week? Well, we got a couple questions, and I just want to remind everyone: if you have a question for us, you can send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com. You can shoot us a tweet at HOC Radio. Or if you have a message or a text, you can call us at our hotline at 609-474-HOCR. What's that again, Dave? That would be 609-474-4627. Okay, well, get
3: those calls and letters in, everybody.
4: And uh, this has become a very hot issue, and uh, I know it's near and dear to your heart. Rick from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who listens to us on KIVA, The Rock of Talk, Resort fees have become a huge issue in the news. I usually book my hotel reservations online. What do I need to look for to make sure I'm not getting charged crazy hidden fees? In your travels, who has the most expensive resort fees? Any horror stories? And I guess uh, we got a bunch of questions. Uh, I guess this sprouted from the news last week. A class action lawsuit was filed in California against the Venetian and Palazzo Hotels. Why was it in California? Why wouldn't it be in Nevada? Well, I I guess it was – well, it makes sense it was travelers, I guess, who were booking in a whole group of people from California. And apparently they booked their uh, stay there, and in the confirmation letter that was sent to them, they said, we have your confirmation. Welcome. Oh, and by the way, you have to pay us $29 per day resort fees. Right.
3: I I hate resort fees. There's a very simple way – to not pay them, and that's to only stay at places without resort fees. And it's true, ninety-five percent of the of the casino hotels in Las Vegas have resort fees. Uh, they range from I think five ninety-five. I think the Gold Coast is one of the last to get them, uh, and up to almost thirty bucks at you know I think Wynn Bellagio. You yeah. can check. You can check the resort fees at any of the consolidator sites you go on. Um, well, I, travelocity I know, I know the, or um,
4: the Venetian and the Plaza were twenty nine dollars. Yeah, free. right. So and, it's uh, but the thing to and, do and, do and they're it, from the Sands Corporation. That's who owns them. So do I guess what it's, I do. Okay,
3: I stay at the properties that don't have resort fees. Now it's true you give up some luxuries, but <laughs> I stay at Arizona Charlie's. Okay, which so. is part of a small chain of uh, casinos in Las Vegas. Uh, they have two properties. Arizona Charlie's. says one's on Decatur. Okay. near Charleston, and the other is down near Henderson on Boulder Highway. They're not luxurious, but I pay $20, $25 bucks a night when I go to Las Vegas. I, true, I have to rent a car because they're not on the strip. <laughs> but by golly, they don't charge resort fees. And I've written a letter to the owner and gotten a letter back saying, I will stay at your places as long as you don't charge them. They're like the last holdouts. The station casinos, which are budget Casinos, they charge
4: resort fees. El Cortez just adopted you, it. You know, you told me that last week, Yeah. and even before this question <laughs> came over, you said you 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 were staying at the was it the station? I was Casinos, staying at Arizona or? Charlie's. Well, you were you were saying I checked that, out the other ones. Oh, so. you checked out. Okay,
3: yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember I stayed at the Bellagio, and they tried to charge me a twenty-something dollar resort, and I just said I. Didn't have it when it was booked. This was back mm-hmm. when they didn't always list them explicitly. Yeah, and I refused to play it. Oh, it was at Palace Station. Palace Station. I knew it was one of the. Stations they short-sheeted me too. Really? I oh. refused to pay the resort fee. I made a fuss, and uh, they eventually waived it. But mm-hmm. they said, "Now you know," and if you come back here, and we'll have you'll have to pay it. So of course, I've never gone back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's outrageous. I so go who, on and who, on.
4: Who has the highest? This guy wants to know who has the highest. I don't uh...
3: know off the top of my head, but you can find out. I think it's probably the Wynn or the uh, Venetian or the uh, Caesars. I'm not certain. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to just guess because you can look it up. Go to Travelocity.com. Go to Travago.com. Go to uh, i4vegas.com, and they'll show you all the resort fees.
4: And remember, if you have a question for our mailbag, you can email us at info at houseofcardsradio.com, tweet at us at HOC Radio, or leave a message or a text on the House of Cards hotline at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. And if we choose your question to answer on the air, you will receive a brand new party poker baseball hat. Anyway, that does it for House of Cards and our mailbag segment. Listeners, until next week,
3: please, good luck. And good day.